So it all started in August of 2013. And at that time, I was getting ready to head back to school for my last year of college. And life was pretty great. I had a girlfriend. I was about to graduate. At the top of my class, I had big plans for my future. And I just couldn't wait to get back to school, see all my friends again, and then graduate and really just start my life. I already had a job lined up and, and things were just looking good. But then something happened that really threatened to take all that stuff away. So earlier that summer, I developed a bump at the, at the base of my abdomen. And it was really annoying and it kind of freaked me out. So I went to the doctor a few times about it. Uh, but he basically told me not to worry. He just told me that it was a harmless cyst and I really shouldn't worry at all about it. Now that put me at ease for a few weeks, uh, but it was right under the um, right under the button of my jeans, and it was really kind of annoying because I couldn't like sit down without it pressing on this bump, and I couldn't even wear belts because it would press down on on this bump and just irritate it. So I told my doctor that I was just uh, sick of dealing with this in in early August of 2013, and that I wanted to get surgery to just remove it and just like be done with this uh, before I went back to school. So he ended up uh, referring to me, referring me to a specialist, uh, a urologist because of uh, the bumps placement. And I met with this urologist for an initial uh, consultation so he could just kind of check it out and we could plan uh, the surgery and all the stuff that would happen. Um, now, in the week leading up uh, to my appointment with the urologist, uh, the bump had opened up slightly and started to like ooze pus and just kind of look gross. And I, I know that sounds really gross, and I'm not going to give you any more details kind of beyond that, but I was just really concerned and kind of embarrassed by the, the appearance of this bump uh, when I went to meet with him for the first time. And he was incredibly kind and caring. He... Um, uh, he, he was just a super nice guy, but he was obviously concerned about the appearance of this bump. Uh, he didn't really make that known, but he just kind of, he, he, it didn't, something seemed off when I was in the room meeting with him for the first time. And in fact, in the first few minutes of looking at this bump and kind of poking around a little bit, he asked if I would be comfortable having another doctor come in and look at it. So I said sure, and he left the room, and he came back a few minutes later with another doctor. And they both examined my lump, and they kind of both agreed that they had never really seen anything like it before. Um, and they kind of seemed confused about really what to make of this bump, and uh, that definitely really didn't put my uh, concerns at ease. Um, but we, we ended up kind of going through the rest of that appointment and we booked, uh, the surgery to remove this bump, uh, for the next week. And I was just looking forward to, uh, getting it removed and not having to worry about it at all. Um, but I was pretty nervous when I arrived, uh, at the hospital for my surgery. I wasn't expecting to have to uh, sign paperwork and stuff about like potential risks and consequences um, of this procedure, uh, one of which was the possibility of death. <laughs> and I know that's just like some legal agreements and stuff, but one of the questions actually asked me, it's, it was something along the lines of, do you have a living will? 
And uh, another question was something about like organ donor status and stuff like that. And those really weren't questions I was expecting to actually be answering prior to surgery. And this was my first time ever having surgery. So I was already pretty kind of petrified by the idea of going under with anesthesia on the operating table. And now I, after reading this thing, I'm concerned about like potentially never waking up. Uh, but the nurse, uh, who was there assured me that that's not going to happen and stuff. And, um, and thankfully she was right. I signed the paperwork. I got the surgery and the surgery just went flawlessly. There were no problems. And, um, I really just walked out of the hospital later that day feeling relieved. Um, like everything was sorted out and, um, I was just, uh, ready to kind of carry on with my life. Now, about a week later, I received a call from the urologist and uh, the, the, the urologist who performed the surgery. And he told me that the biopsy results had come back and he wanted me to come to his office to discuss them. Now, immediately, I could tell that something wasn't quite right based on the conversation and based on uh, kind of how he was talking. And... Um, when I arrived at his office the next day, uh, he really just got straight to the point. And he said, he said, Leif, your mass was not a cyst. It was a tumor that tested positive for a very rare form of cancer named Langerhans cell histiocytosis. And I don't remember any other part of that conversation. I just remember that initial uh, exchange and, and then kind of everything just went blank and I was I was in shock and and the shock quickly turned to denial and and I was wondering how could this happen to me like I was 21 years old at the time and I had just been diagnosed with cancer and I just couldn't believe it so I I do remember walking out of the building that day I was just kind of in a fog uh, it was a sunny August day, but kind of everything was just dark. The world was dark and I just, um, I just wasn't there. I wasn't present. And thankfully my mom drove me to the office that day. Um, I don't think I would have had the strength or focus to drive and, and get home, uh, safely. Um, and that was just such a kind of traumatic, um, experience in, uh, in learning that I had just been diagnosed with cancer. And, um, and this urologist asked me not to Google anything about this particular, uh, form of cancer until we learned more about it because it's extremely rare. Um, but sure enough, I mean, that's the first thing that I did when I arrived home. I, if someone, if you get a diagnosis like that and someone tells you like, don't look into it, like that's, your automatic reaction and them telling you just makes you want to do it even more. So I ended up Googling it when I first got home and, um, and I learned that Langerhans cell histiocytosis is in fact incredibly rare. The first statistic that I ever saw uh, on this cancer uh, listed its prevalence at approximately one in 950,000 people. Um, now that's pretty close to one in a million and, uh, and that just, um, that made the whole thing 
even more scary to me. And uh, the disease also uh, usually affects children, not adults. Uh, so I was 21 at the time, which made the diagnosis even more rare. So um, the next few weeks really just marked the lowest point in my life. And since the, the disease is so rare, there were only a few doctors on the East Coast in the U.S. who had ever even treated a patient with this particular disease. I ended up finding one such doctor in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, who worked at the Anne Arundel Medical Center. And um, we found a few others, but that seemed to be the best fit for our situation. And he was also uh, the closest. Um, so I remember uh, the first time my mom and I made uh, the, that three-hour drive to go uh, see him for the first time. And it was a warm day in early September. Um, and as we walked into the oncologist center there uh, for the first time, it, um, it all became painfully real. Like the gravity of the situation just really, really became even that much more apparent to me. And I remember seeing other patients in the hallway, um, patients who, who looked like they would literally spend their final days on earth within the walls of that building. And I remember feeling so out of place, like I, like I was living in a dream. And the experience was just surreal. Now, everyone in there was kind. All the doctors and nurses were kind and the people at the front desk and everything. But their kindness at that time was just lost on me. I, I was not in a place where I could appreciate um, anything. So they led me into a small, uh, like sterile white room, like a typical uh, kind of doctor's office where I was asked to change into a hospital gown. And I was just overcome with emotion as I changed out of my normal clothes into this hospital gown. And I just felt cold and afraid. And the most difficult part about that whole and about that whole time was not knowing what my future held. Now, in hindsight, it might sound a little dramatic, but I literally didn't know at that time if I would be alive in a year. So very little is known about the, the type of cancer that I had, and I had no idea if the cancer had spread throughout my body, so I really had no really idea of what... Um, what my diagnosis or prognosis would be. So after sitting in that, that small room and just thinking for a few minutes uh, in my hospital gown about kind of this whole situation, I ended up picking up my street clothes and um, the street clothes from the floor and I just uh, walked down to the hallway um, wearing nothing but this light blue hospital gown and anti-slip socks. Now, throughout this entire experience, um, my mom was by my side every single minute, and she did her best to keep me comfortable and keep me, and she kept smiling at me to let me know that things were going to be okay. But 
I didn't smile back. I could not get myself to smile during that time. And when you're diagnosed with a disease like this, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your family and friends too. And during that time, my whole family was stressed. Um, I didn't talk to my friends. I avoided them. Things got really strained between me and my girlfriend, and uh, we actually broke up a few weeks after that. Um, I was just uh, starting my classes at that time, and uh, I couldn't focus in school. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't do homework. I couldn't. Um, I I just skipped class, and um, and I just couldn't be present. And I experienced depression for the first time in my life. And I found out that when you don't take care of your body, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. So I spent the next few weeks undergoing a battery of different tests. Um, I did blood tests. I had physical exams, uh, neurological exams. Uh, we had MRI scans in my brain, uh, which were actually really scary. If you've never had an MRI uh, the, it's in a very kind of confined space and it's really loud. Like there are loud knocking sounds and, uh, I'm, I'm not really, um, one to like freak out about stuff, but this was like a horrifying experience. And, uh, I also had blood tests. Uh, they did urine analyses. I had x-rays, bone scans, and, uh, they did a bone marrow biopsy, um, which if you've never heard of a of a uh, bone marrow biopsy, they literally take, they, they stick a huge, uh, I don't know what it's called, a bone marrow needle, I guess, into your hip bone, which is just kind of above your butt. And, um, and you have to apply so much pressure to stick this needle in. The needle is huge. Like it's, it's not a small needle. Um, you can look this up. It's, uh, I don't know the exact diameter, but it's, um, it's huge. And you have to apply so much pressure to stick this needle into the bone um, that my doctor had to put like most of his body weight into it and press it down into uh, my hip bone uh, to to get a small sample of bone uh, to analyze. And uh, he applied a local anesthetic when he did that, but it was still incredibly painful and uh, just the whole experience was terrible. And the final examination on my last day of testing uh, was a PET scan and CT scan of my entire body. And that took uh, about an hour. I wasn't expecting to be there, uh, be in that room for so long. Um, but to do the PET scan, they have to inject a small amount of uh, some sort of uh, radioactive like glucose into your vein. Um, which is supposed to be sucked up by uh, cancer, and uh, that's what allows them to see it in in kind of the the scan. And I was just like adamantly opposed to the whole idea of injecting the substance into my arm. And I actually spent about half an hour just like thinking about this, like, do I actually want to go through this or not? Uh, while I'm sitting in the testing office. Because uh, I just hated the idea of injecting this radioactive glucose substance into my vein. 
And I talked to the technician about it and uh, she said that these scans would take away all the uncertainty for kind of my whole diagnosis. And whether the results were good or bad, at least I would know. We would know what we're dealing with. So that was pretty logical and I decided to go through with it. And I watched as she injected my arm with this radioactive fluid and I just, that was yet another traumatic experience for me during this whole process. It's like just a series of these circumstances that felt unreal. Like I had to keep like telling myself that I'm actually here. Like this is real. Like I'm actually going through this. So then I spent nearly an hour lying down on the machine, uh, trying to pretend that I was anywhere else, um, trying to just be perfectly still so I, we could get, uh, get this, the scans and, and just be efficient, get it done as quickly as possible. And, um, and then that was it. Then I, then I left. Um, and the next day my oncologist called me into his office, uh, to discuss the results of all of this testing. And he said, Leif, it looks like we've actually removed the cancer before it had a chance to spread. Uh, you just had one uh, instance of this cancer. It was a single tumor in your body, and there are no other tumors in your body, uh, according to all the tests that we've run. And it's hard to describe how it felt to hear those words. And... I can easily say uh, those were the most amazing words that have ever been said to me. Um, I was just immediately overcome with relief and gratitude. Uh, like I had just had a huge hundred pound weight lifted from my shoulders. Um, but he went on to continue and, and said, uh, due to the chance of recurrence associated with this disease, um, my oncologist recommended that we actually explore preventative measures like chemotherapy and radiation. And uh, right from the beginning, I knew that's not something that I wanted to do. I was completely against it. I had uh, enough of uh, enough of a taste of this whole um, experience to know that I needed to get out there and um, and focus my time and energy on uh, healing myself in other ways. And the idea of just blasting my body with deadly drugs and radiation to heal my body just intuitively made absolutely zero sense to me. And so I decided to not do that. Now, things began settling down in the weeks after this happened. Um, but the traumatic experience of this whole entire thing was just seared into my brain. And I began spending all of my free time researching holistic healing and nutrition. And I just became immersed in holistic healing books. I read everything that I could find on plant-based eating for disease prevention. And I just started learning as much as I could about how to heal yourself from disease, how to prevent disease. And if there's one thing that I knew at that time, it's that I would do whatever it took to never have to experience that again. 
So I started following different protocols, uh, like the Gerson therapy, for instance, and uh, it's um, like a super nutrition, you follow a super nutritious organic vegan diet, uh, there are nutritional supplements, you do enemas, stuff like that. So I was doing lots of things like that with my diet and supplementation, and uh, I was experimenting with like uh, different types of enemas and stuff like that. I also stopped using deodorant, shampoo, body wash, anything that contained harmful chemicals. Uh, I just completely uh, stopped using those, and um, I still don't use those to this day. I use uh, kind of natural, um, uh, different kind of. Uh, products that um, one of my favorite soaps is uh, Dr. Bronner's. Uh, he, there's a peppermint soap by Dr. Bronner's and um, it's all uh, just super pure uh, ingredients, nothing uh, that you can't pronounce, uh, no harmful anything, uh, the kind of chemicals that are contained in it. So I started kind of doing all of that stuff and replacing uh, lots of these products in my life. I also began drinking uh, highly purified water through a filter that removes things like heavy metals, chlorine, uh, any pharmaceuticals that might be in the water, fluoride, stuff like that. And I also started using um, a rebounder to stimulate my lymphatic system, make sure that things were kind of moving around and I was staying healthy and also uh, lifting weights or, or running every single day. And I still do most of these things uh, today, um, minus the enemas and a, and a few other things. But, um, but my, my cancer diagnosis was the most traumatic experience that I've ever gone through. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. And I know that might sound crazy, but it taught me the true value of life. And it also taught me a crucial life lesson. If you don't have your health, then you literally don't have anything. And my message today is don't take your health for granted. Don't wait until you experience sickness or disease to change your lifestyle. I pray that you never have to go through something like what I went through. But the reality is that millions and millions of people go through that same thing every year. In fact, I feel like I got off easy. I went through kind of the trauma of facing a diagnosis like that, but I didn't have to go through chemo and radiation. I didn't have to spend my final days in a hospital bed surrounded by, surrounded by my friends and family uh, who just watched the life drain out of my body. I didn't have to go through that. And uh, the, the experience of seeing my friends and family having to go through that with me, even though what I went through isn't a fraction as bad as most other uh, cancer patients or people with serious diseases have to go through, I realized that your health decisions don't just affect you. They affect everyone you love and care about. And that's pretty obvious on just kind of an intuitive level. Like you can say, oh yeah, if I'm sick, then obviously that affects my family and friends. But most people don't practice that on a daily basis. Most people don't apply that seemingly obvious um, kind of uh, idea into their lives. Most people take their, their health for granted. And that's a, a tragedy, in my opinion. And, um, and that's because most people think 
that's never going to happen to me. Like that, I you'll see other people who go through uh, experience like, experiences like this, and you'll say, okay, like that's terrible. I feel really bad for that person, but that won't happen to me. And even if you don't say it, somewhere in your mind, you're kind of thinking it, maybe on a subconscious level. Well, guess what? That's what I thought. Nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them. Yet 17 million people were diagnosed with cancer last year, and 18 million people died from cardiovascular disease. I can almost guarantee you that most of them thought the same thing. That will never happen to me. And these two diseases, cancer and cardiovascular disease, are largely preventable through lifestyle choices. Now, avoiding animal products is a great step, and kudos to you for doing that, but that doesn't automatically make you healthy. And the other thing that I hear a lot uh, when I'm talking about the importance to, of, of health to some audience is a, some kind of story that goes like this. You'll, you'll have someone stand up and say, well, Leif, my best friend's neighbor's second cousin's uncle drank five beers, smoked a pack of cigarettes, ate fast food every day, and lived to 97 years old. And then I'm thinking in, uh, in response to that, well, that's great for him, but what's that have to do with you? There have actually been a handful of people through history who have jumped out of an airplane and uh, either without a parachute or with a parachute that didn't work properly, and they ended up living. In fact, in December of 2006, a guy named Michael Holmes jumped out of a plane over New Zealand, and uh, he was an experienced skydiver with over 7,000 jumps, uh, but this time his parachute failed and he fell and he fell 15,000 feet before hitting the ground somehow he survived but that doesn't mean that you should jump out of an airplane without a parachute or without checking to make sure your parachute works so don't bet your health on outliers like these people this i call this the screwed approach and it's like playing russian roulette with your health Plus, there is a huge difference between quantity and quality of life. Who cares if you live to 97 if you spend the last three decades of your life feeling sick and tired? Maybe you can't even move around or, or whatever's happening to you. Like You might not be in a really good spot. You might not even want to be alive. So what good is it to live to 97 if you can't enjoy those years? So I want to read one of my favorite quotes for you uh, that kind of pertains to this conversation. And it's this. Every time you eat or drink, you are either feeding disease or fighting it. So every day you have the choice. You have the choice to eat to nourish your body with healthy, wholesome food, or you have the choice to eat processed junk. Now, I'm sure you've heard uh, the popular vegan phrase, my body is not a graveyard. I absolutely love that phrase. I think it's really powerful, but your body is also not a junkyard. So why would you feed it junk? Your body wants to be healthy. Healthy and well-being is your body's default mode. You actually, you have about 40 trillion cells in your body and they all work 24, 7, 365 to keep you healthy. 
They're doing literally everything in their power to keep you healthy. And some people have the audacity to say things like, I don't like the taste of salads, or I don't feel like working out and moving my body today. I just want to sit down on the couch and watch some TV show. Your 40 trillion cells that you have in your body don't ask for much. They just ask for a little support. All you need to do is provide them with these raw materials and they're going to do all the rest of the hard work. I think that's incredibly amazing. That's an awesome deal. They're going to do all the work to keep your heart beating, your brain working and disease at bay. The only thing that you have to do is eat healthy food and move your body every day. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I love things like chips, especially tortilla chips, uh, and pizza and coconut milk ice cream and a bunch of other stuff that's not super healthy and stuff that I probably shouldn't really be eating. But that stuff is also okay too. We just want to keep it in serious moderation. I'm not saying that we just need to drink wheatgrass shots and eat kale salads all day. But we want to be including as much healthy, nutritious food as possible and keeping those other junk foods in moderation. Now, if that's a problem for you, then you really need to reframe the idea of what it means to live a healthy life. You shouldn't be going through your day and thinking things like, oh man, I need to eat a salad right now and I don't want to because it doesn't taste good. You should instead be approaching it and thinking like, I'm so blessed to even have like these wholesome, nutritious ingredients that can make this beautiful salad and I can eat it to nourish my body. Healthy food also can and should taste delicious. So you can invest the time into learning how to cook healthy, delicious meals. Your food's going to taste better. And as you go through the process of eating this healthy food and doing it on a regular basis, making food that you um, enjoy eating, your taste buds are going to quickly adapt to actually craving healthy food. Like I'm at the point where my body literally craves salads and fruit and it also craves like tortilla chips and pizza sometimes as well but like I never really experienced that before I got serious about eating really healthy nutritious meals it was always um it always was like a chore to get me to um to actually eat that stuff and I would but I wouldn't enjoy it so so that's something that you really have to work on if that's a struggle in your life so here's the bottom line of my message today. Don't wait until it's too late to prioritize your health. You only have one body and you need to put in the time and energy to take care of it. If you lose your health, then you're going to lose everything. That's the incredible lesson that cancer taught me six years ago. And I couldn't be more thankful for that today.